Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me today are the two Jacks. We've got Jack Serlis. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Pat. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. And Jack Mainstone. Mainstone, how are you doing? Yeah, as good as can be. As good as can be. <laughs> as good as can be after we've just been spanked 5-2 by Spurs. Um, we've all had about 30 minutes to kind of decompress and, and take in what was an absolutely shocking second half performance. We'll come on to that in a sec, but I think it's fair to say that we all need a drink. So what, we we, what are we drinking on this pod as we're recording? Jack, what oh. you got? I've got a um, Ringwood Brewery 49, a rich and golden craft ale, which is going down a tree. Oh, sounds nice. Mainstone? Um, I'm, I'm having a little throwback and um, paying homage to my Yoshida. Um, I've got a Japanese <laughs> Asahi alongside me, drowning my sorrows. Oh, I love, love it. it. I love that. Very nice. Very nice lager, that. I have what have got, you got, Pat? I have got a Cabano-style espresso brown ale from Cigar City Brewing, which is a local mm. brewery in Tampa. Um, they do uh, they do a, they do a really popular beer called Highlight, um, which is like super strong ale, and I didn't want to go for that. So I've got a brown ale. Um, it's early in the morning here, so I needed to have notes of coffee, um, <laughs> just to give me a little caffeine injection. Um, Sensible. Yeah. So let's talk about that game then. Five two. That's three defeats on the spin now. Um, we were the most optimistic fan base coming into the start of the season and we've just lost to Palace, got beaten by Brentford Reserves and then we've just been thrashed 5-2 by Tottenham. Human Son scoring four, Harry Kane four assists and a goal. Uh, Ings getting two for us. Um, Mainstone, I'll start with you. Sum up your feelings on that performance. Um, I mean, disappointed, obviously. Um, very, very strange game. Um because if you if you were to rewatch, especially the first half, it's not a five-two game, is it? Um, obviously, we shot ourselves in the foot massively um, in the defensive line, um, and I think as soon as it went three-one, it was game over. Um, the heads dropped. We were kind of hanging on for dear lives um, when it went three-one. But yeah, really not good. It was kind of reminiscent of early stages of last season again. Um, I'm not too sure where the high line came from, uh, whether that was obviously talked about pre-match. I'm sure. Um, but playing that higher line with a goalkeeper um, that's a bit unconfident coming off the line all the time um, was a little bit risky and that, that obviously um, came to fruition in the second half massively. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree with you there, Mainstone, in that there, there were some encouraging parts, that, especially mm-hmm. that first half. Shea Adams definitely should have got on the score sheet. I'm sure we're going to come on to his finishing, but just overall, especially that second half, just worrying. That's how I feel after watching that game. Very worried because it just seemed that one ball from Spurs was cutting open our whole team. And I just couldn't believe what I was watching. It was just one pass and they threw on goal. And it just looked so, so schoolboy from us. And hopefully, well, what you what you hope to see is a little bit of change. When that happens, you go, all right, we're getting cut open here. We're going to have to do something different. But we didn't. We carried on exactly the same. And I was just... Yeah, massively disappointed to see that capitulation of the second half. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted at half-time that much better than Palace, much better than Brentford in terms of the performance. Mm. Um, we should have gone in 1-0 up. Um, a fantastic goal from Danny Ings. Also, kind of shades of his goal against Spurs last season where that ball over the top into the right channel. Last season, he kind of cut 
brilliant little um, touch pass, Odeviraud, and then a great finish. And this time it was just a great first touch again, but he kept it on his right foot and just beat Lloris from a really narrow angle. I thought we were playing well. We were creating chances, um, which is something that we didn't do against Palace. Um, we did look shaky at the back still. I mean, Jack, you text me. Within a couple of minutes, like warning sign, that Harry Kane, um, was it Harry Kane, I think, that scored, but yeah. Kim Song was yeah. offside. Um, that was a big warning sign. And that was just like a, a sign of things to come in the second half because every time they went forward, they, they were going to score. And Mainstone, I think you're exactly right. As soon as he went to 3-1, it was game over. Um, yeah. There was no fight. Um, and bizarrely, Ralph didn't really change it either. And we just continued to be open. Uh, and they created chances at will. Um, I guess we'll start with the first half, but... Any positives to take from that first 45 minutes? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely were positives. We had Adams missed two big chances, didn't he? The one that came to him, I think it just dropped to him about on the penalty spot and it was a brilliant save from Hugo Lloris, but he's just got to do more. He's got to put it away from the keeper. I know you tweeted, Pat, that he's um, one of those strikers that tries to hit the target and you know hopes that it goes in the opposite to Danny Ings, which is the type of striker that's picking out the corner. So it was a shame that he didn't get on the score sheet, but I think it's it's encouraging that we're getting those chances. Also, Musa Gineppo, I thought he was probably our best player today. I mean, it, it, not everything was coming off, but you know, he did that brilliant bit of skill on the on the left-hand side in the first half when he you know, um, took it round Doherty and set it up for Adams, which should have buried it. But I thought he was brilliant. He was direct. And Nathan Redmond, we spoke about him a lot. He does have his positives to his game, but I think he does lack that directness. And that's what Gineppo brought to us um, today. He's not the finished article by all means, but um, he was good. Um, but apart from that, I mean, the, the Sun goal, the, the Sun equaliser. What did you guys think about Alex McCarthy? Because I've got a mate, Ollie, who's a goalkeeper. And uh, I was texting him about that one. And uh, his opinion was that, it was all about the starting position because when, when Son picked it up, he was only just inside our box, but it's just where McCarthy starts. He's just too deep. You see these top goalkeepers in the Premier League, they're always anticipating that ball coming. I thought he was just on his heels and that was that was the costly element. Yeah, I mean, Mainstone, what, what did you make of that? That equaliser. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think the starting position was, was kind of all wrong. I, there was a couple of times in um, uh, towards the end of the first half um, into the second half where he was playing very high but it was when we were relaxed on the ball and just playing around the back it seems like when he needs to come out or when he needs to make that decision he's just too cautious on it um, mm. and I think when we're playing a line as high as we did today it's just you, you're waiting to shoot yourself in the foot it just won't work Yeah, what I would say Pat quickly is that I saw Jacob Tansfield replied to one of one of your tweets and I thought he made the point perfectly is that the high line that we're playing this season that Ralph is, you know, insisting on necessitates a keeper that's confident with the ball at his feet and that's going to be coming off his line because you just can't have a shot-stopping keeper that's going to sit on his line if you're going to have your defence on the halfway line. McCarthy's not that keeper. I wouldn't say Fraser Forster's that keeper. Angus Gunn probably is the most suited, but we all know, you know, how his Southampton career has gone so far. So it's a really difficult one, I think. It is. I mean, if we start, if we're insisting on this style of football, I think it's going to be very, very tricky. Um, as well, you could hear on the BT coverage, Jack. I think you pointed it out. You could hear Ralph from the technical area shout, "Go on, Alex!" When that ball mm. went through to Son, um, 
And yeah, he just got caught in two minds and Sun tucked it away. That was one touch in our box, one goal. Um, I guess if we've got the very few positives out of the way, we better talk about the second (laughs) half, which was just full of negatives. Um, It started badly um, with their second touch in our penalty area, leading to the second goal. Um, Son again. It seemed to be the case that they scored the same goal over and over again. And it was just Harry Kane as a striker, dropping into the midfield, turning and playing really nice through balls, like slicing through our back line. And Son just kind of peeling off Walker Peters and going through on goal. It happened countless times and Son ended up with four goals. I mean, who, where do you place the blame, Jack, in terms of the defensive performance? Because I saw a lot of people saying Stevens Bednarak. I saw other people obviously blaming McCarthy for the first goal. Walker Peters fell asleep a few times with mm. Son. But then higher up the pitch as well, you can look at the midfield and... Romayu in the first half, I think the first five minutes, got booked for a pretty terrible tackle mm. on, on Hoiberg. I mean, it's, we, at that point, we could laugh and be like, okay, you've been planning that all week in training. But I mean, his touch was dreadful. Mm. Got away from him and then he lunged in and caught him on the ankle and that's a yellow card. And someone, um, speaking to someone and they were like, well, yeah, Romayu gets lots of yellow cards, but he's never been sent off for us. So... Um, it, it's like it's just just I guess a stat that they pointed out, but it changes the way that you play when your kind of midfield enforcer is on a yellow card now for eighty five minutes. Ralph had to mm. sub him after think fifty five because he was on another warning and he was very close to being sent off. Our game was about tactical fouls high up the pitch to stop counter attacks, and if you get a booking in the first five minutes, you can't do that anymore because you're going to get sent off. Um, so I think it completely. Uh, negated Romeo's role in the team by getting booked so early, and he had another poor game. He's been, he's been, he was good in Project Restart. I'm going to get bored of saying that because it's kind of like the qualification to how poorly he started this season, um, and how badly we need a midfielder in there alongside Will Prowse because he was he was awful. He was off pace. He's so mm. slow, and I guess I I kind of put a lot of the blame on the high line, but also I put a lot of the blame on our midfield. Um, and that was Romeo and Ward Prowse. And then later on, it was Smallbone and Ward Prowse. But there was just no pressing from no pressing from those guys. Really, not much pressing from the front. Um, and Spurs could just pick us apart at will. Yeah, I mean, in answer to your your previous question, I, I think it's a collective responsibility. I'm not going to single out one of those defenders and say they are at fault for those five goals because all of them played pretty poorly. Um, and your your point about the the line, Harry Kane in his post match interview literally said, "We spoke before the game. We knew there was going to be space in behind. It was so so obvious." He said that on BT. It was so obvious. All he had to do was just drop in. Stevens and Benrat didn't know what to do because they don't know. Do we follow him? Do we leave him? Do we pass him onto the midfielder? Mm-hmm. Son goes, and then we just he's through on goal. So it was just so so obvious. Romeo, like you said about him getting an early card. Hassan Hüttel confirmed that in his post-match interview and he said Ahmed, both of our sixes picked up yellow cards which affects our game massively and he, like you said, he was just so poor. It was a really bad touch, took out Hoiberg and, and the whole point of having Romeo on the pitch is just to break it up and make those niggly fouls and be a nuisance. He's not going to be spreading the ball around. He doesn't have that ability so it's like a wasted midfielder in there 
And, you know, Smallbone, Smallbone came on. It's difficult partnerships, Smallbone and Ward Prowse when you're playing against three very established midfielders in the Premier League. I think they're always going to have a difficult second half. But, yeah, I think it's a collective responsibility. I don't think anyone really covered themselves in glory. But what do you think, Mainstone? Would you pick anyone out as having a particularly poor game? Um, I think it was really interesting both the fact that you both picked up on on kind of the midfield taking some of the blame as well because that's that's kind of initially what I thought after watching some of the replays. The first one, well, the first time it happened, um, you can kind of let them get away with because it's a difficult position to be in as a centre back. To like you said, Jack, whether you go with him or whether you stand your ground. Um, so the first one or first couple, you can maybe say yeah they can get away with it. But when it was happening time after time after time, and you could almost see it when watching the game on BT Sport, you could see it happening before it actually happened. Um, mm. One of the midfielders has got to take onus there and be like, right, if he drops in deep, um, we will cover him. We will try and stop that, cut that passing lane. You just worry about the runners in behind because Son was, it was just a free run every single <laughs> time. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It really was. It was ridiculous. Um, do you think that speaks to a little bit of a, Lack of leadership, whether it's in the back line or in the midfield, someone just kind of taking taking the onus upon themselves to try and sort it out. Does it does it fall on Ralph? I mean, we've we've all been singing Ralph's praises uh, and he's been fantastic for us. But I mean, at what point do you does the same goal happen four times and you and you don't change it? I yeah. mean, I mean, it's it was difficult. It was difficult to change it because we've just got no options really. Um, you look at our bench and really, what who's going to come on to do? anything to change the flow of the game, especially when it goes to 3-1. I mean, it was as good as game over, as you said, mate. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. I've got the lineups here in front of me because I was having a look at the bench um, after the game. It's not great, is it? The depth we had. No, it's really not. I mean, Vestergaard, Shane Long, Oberfemi and Smallbone um, and Fraser Forster are the only ones with any real Premier League experience. Obviously, Smallbone and Oberfemi, very limited Premier League experience. Um, mm. And then that leaves you with a defender and a striker that likes to run the channels and run in behind and create space. Um, in terms of someone to bring on, which is going to make a massive difference and make an impact in the game, um, it was just lacking there, which is where drawn onto the transfer market. I think we really need to to just strengthen up a little bit because we do look weak. After If, if Armstrong wasn't there today, um, I mean, that would have been Smallbone. And then um, Smallbone starting in his position and then when Romeo gets booked in the first couple of minutes and you're looking to replace him later on in the game to try and not get sent off, who are you, who are you then throwing in the mix then? It just we leave very thin on the ground. Yeah, I mean, what, what you just mentioned there before, Pat, is about, it's a big, big argument, I think, among Saints fans. Was it Ralph's tactics that led to that or how much can you put on the players? And Adam Blackmore, I saw him put on Twitter after the game, it's not about playing a high line. It's about players taking responsibility. So I think he's firmly on the fence, on the side that the players need to take responsibility of that shambles of a second half. I think, I think it's got to be the system. You have to change the system. It was obviously not working. So I do put a lot of the blame of that game on Ralph. You can't just continue with something when you're getting opened up. And I think obviously a massive part of it has to be on the players and they need to take you know, leadership, but they're taking orders from the manager of how to play. And if they're getting told to play the line near the halfway line, they're going to get exposed. So I would put more of the blame on Ralph just for that that second half, because I think it was just so obvious for every single fan of football that knows anything about the game that we were just getting ripped apart. Um, on the midfield point, it's just 
I, I honestly can't believe it. Just in, in Project Restart, it was so obvious that Hoiberg was being sold and everyone had just accepted that. Or we knew that from maybe March or April time, we knew that he was getting sold. And if you told me that we would start the first three games the next season with Romeo and Ward Prowse and Smallbone as the backup, I'd be, I'd be so shocked. I'd be like, surely we've got enough time to bring in someone. So, I mean, we, we don't have too long. We've got a couple of weeks before the window shuts, but that has to be priority number one uh, coming up. It's a, it's a joke. Uh, it's an absolute shambles that we've started the season with Smallbone, Romeo and Ward Prowse in as our options in midfield. Like, it's so incompetent that we've allowed ourselves to get in this position, considering the performances that we put in over the summer, the great results that we got. That was the opportunity to build on it. As you said, we've known Hoiberg was leaving for months. Mm. I saw Ralph come out and say it last week about we've, we've finally got some, some names on our, on our shortlist of, of midfielders, and he's obviously desperate to get in a midfielder. But how has it got to this position? I mean, we can we can talk about finances and the, yeah, I'm not putting any money into the club. But at some point, they've just got to put their hands in their pockets and do something about it. Because you you can't be a Premier League team with two midfielders and one academy prospect in central mm. midfield. Like you you won't last five games, let alone 38 games, with suspensions, with injuries, with form. Like it, we we've left ourselves so unbelievably short in one of the most critical positions of the pitch that it only takes a couple of injuries. And as we've seen with Armstrong coming back, he, he, he obviously made a big difference today um, compared to the Palace game. And we were better creatively and we, we pressed better in the first half with him in the team. But at the same time, he's kind of been rushed back a little bit, I think. I, I was a bit surprised to see him start today, but we don't have many options, so we had to. Um, and then obviously we've got this Redmond injury, which means Gineppa comes in. Again, he's lively, looks good, but it sounds like Bufal is going to be leaving. So we probably need another option for one of those two um, attacking midfield spots because we're just so thin on the ground. The only position really where I feel confident that we've got enough cover um, is up front. And even then, obviously, we need to wrap Danny Ings in cotton wool. But even then, for Adams, we've got Long and Abafemi that can come in and change it slightly. That's the only position where Mm. I feel like, apart from goalkeeper... But then a goalkeeper, the options we've got don't fit our system. So we've got like we've got lots of options, but they're all the wrong option. You've already mentioned McCarthy and Forster can't play with a high line because they're bad with the ball mm. at their feet. So, I mean, it's very, very frustrating. And just thinking about it, Ralph joined in December 2018. It's nearly been two years and the squad has, has barely changed. Um, we've talked about giving Ralph time to to get his sort of players in. But really, he's done a good job of making the most of, of what he's been mm-hmm. given in terms of improving players. Lots of players have improved under his um, management, most of all Ings and Ward Prowse. But really, we, he hasn't been backed to any significant extent in the transfer market. And even this summer, it's been, it's been even worse. So we're left with a squad that puts us in a really difficult position. And I, and I know there was loads of optimism going into the season because of our previous nine games, but that's just completely evaporated now. And it is worrying. Um, we've got West Brom. Burnley next, next actually. Um, Burnley next. Sorry, Burnley next. Yeah, Burnley away next, then West Brom. I mean, they're two big games now. <laughs> they're two two big big games and it's and it's ridiculous to say i mean not in terms of our position in the season but just in terms of performance yeah. they're big games because we've we've played three matches and really played well for 45 yeah. minutes 
And even then, there was I was a, a little bit concerned defensively. But we've had one good 45 minutes from three games. Um, we've now got two winnable games. We need we need to see um, a sustained 90 minute performance. And and speaking 30 minutes after watching us concede five goals, I'm really not yeah. sure where that's going to come from. Um, what do you? I mean, Ralph called the, de- the defending a disaster after the match. Um, Salasu. I mean, it's it's going to be an unbelievable amount of pressure now when he comes into the team. Save us. Do you think, Ralph, will, will, will he change it at all, do you think, going into the Burnley game? Can you foresee any changes coming up for, for Burnley I, away? I, Jack, I'll start with or main Yeah, go I ahead. can't. I think Burnley, to chuck someone in against Burnley, <laughs> isn't it? as much as we need him. I should imagine if there's any changes for Burnley, I think Vestergaard will probably come in just to nullgate the aerial threat potentially. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, not sure. But yeah, he, I think he will be good. I think a left, a left-footed, left-sided centre-back um, will be more reassuring, um, especially with the high line. Um, but again, that that one issue is not going to solve um, the number of issues that are still there in terms of the rest of the team and the strength and depth at centre midfield either. Um, mm. So yeah, it's difficult. I was almost a little bit surprised that Vestergaard didn't get the shout today. I think. I think Southampton fans sometimes get too high on some performances and too low on some performances. And I don't like how Stevens is sometimes the, the new Maldini and then he's sometimes the worst player and we should ship him out on loan to Swindon. So there's a danger of doing that. However, I think we've obviously been poor. We've been poor defensively and Vestergaard, you know, he's got his qualities. So I was, I was kind of expecting him to start today. And I think Jack uh, Mainstone, you make a good point. I don't think you chuck Salasu in at Turf Moor, which I've got a nice little optimistic stat for you. We haven't won there since 2007, so that's that's exciting. Um, I don't I don't think you chuck him in his Premier League debut when you've got I mean who's their striker Chris Wood and Jay Rodriguez throwing elbows at him. But um, yeah, I think changes need to happen, but I think mostly it's uh, tactical changes for me because we don't have the options to change the personnel too much, do we? Yeah, I think that's right. And going back to what you were saying um, about the whole transfer situation and lack of it, um, I was thinking, I think I tweeted about it a week or so ago and it makes the Harrison-Reed decision even more baffling. Um, mm. We can understand it. We all, we said on the podcast, we understand the decision made and I'm not, I'm not too sure on the full ins and outs of the option to buy that Fulham had um, and how much of a say we had in it. But if we did have a say and we're still thinking now, where's that other centre midfielder from? he could have been there without us even having to really do much. Um, he could have just been giving him a chance. Um, it's almost quite a little bit naive to think, yeah, we'll get rid of him. Um, we'll let him go to Fulham um, and we'll kind of just see what happens with this whole, you know, going back to Winston McKenney thing. And they yeah. really mm. seem to be going anywhere apart from after he went to Juve, there's really been a, a shout of a centre midfielder that, I've, that we've been linked with that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Everyone was expecting the outgoings. I think that's, the most salient point for me. Everyone was expecting these outgoings, but it was all dependent on the fact that we were going to bring players in. Harrison Reed, we obviously sent Lamina to Fulham as well. I don't know if you guys saw his cameo against Leeds, but he was absolutely <laughs> awful, which was which was good to see. But yeah, I agree. Harrison Reed was one of those players that you think maybe we could we could have him as backup. We've got two, you know, senior pros and Will Small Will Smallburn in there. But yeah, it's just it's just baffling that we are in week three of the Premier League season we've lost two and we're out of the cup and we haven't got reinforcements in 
I think for me it's like it's a, it just speaks to like a complete it seems like from the outside looking in a complete lack mm. of planning like we've known Hoiberg was leaving I mean it seemed very likely that Reed would be leaving as well obviously Lamina was I leaving I thought we'd turned that corner so, I thought we'd brought in people at senior management I thought we'd gone past that shambolic mm-hmm. element of Southampton I thought everyone was talking about these new Martin Simmons coming in in a clear direction so I, it looks like lack of planning but maybe it's just transfers not falling our way the way Maybe I mean we we've we've got Salasu over the line and we've got Walker Peters obviously which was which was important and and there is an element of finances and it's got to work but at the same time it's like you you can't if you're looking ahead and planning for the season you can't expect these players to leave in central midfield and not bring somebody mm. in and as you said Mainstead, to not even be really linked with anybody or any kind of noises about who this person could be. If maybe they're keeping it quiet and they're going to announce the transfer next week. I mean, that would be incredible. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But I mean, it really doesn't seem that way. Um, and, and yeah, maybe I'm making too much of, of Ralph's quote, but, and maybe it was just kind of the way that he was speaking um, in English. And, but the way that he said, we finally got a few names on our list to me speaks to the frustration that he's had with the higher ups in terms of putting some names on a piece of paper that we should be targeting. Mm. Yeah, it's really, um, I read um, there's a really, really good article by Dan Sheldon in The Athletic. I don't know if you saw it. I think it was posted yesterday or the day before, and it was about our new um, recruitment process, basically, um, since everything started going wrong, the whole revamp that we've all heard about. Um, mm-hmm. It was really interesting, and it kind of, I kind of got the impression when I was reading it that everything needs to be absolutely perfect before we buy someone. Um, they're not going to be taking chances anymore um, on mm. like with the likes of Carrillo and how that whole one or two year process went with our signings, they're not going to be taking any of those risks, those risks anymore. Um, mm. And there, it's almost like we're waiting. Every transfer is going to have to be a Mane situation where we get in cheap, plays really well for a couple of seasons, and then we make maximum profit on him when we can. We can understand that. And I, I'm not saying that that's the wrong idea, but sometimes you do have to make a gamble. Everything's not just, doesn't get handed to you on a plate. You need to take that gamble sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that I haven't read the article. I mean, it makes, it makes sense. Um, what I'd say to that is, I mean, we've put ourselves in this position. Oh where we've got no options in midfield. <laughs> and when you put yourself in that position, you can't wait for the perfect mm-hmm. player because you've made it a, a desperate situation for yourselves. Um, so, I mean, the risk is now we don't buy, we don't bring anybody in or, yeah, we compromise and bring someone in on loan or something like that. And then we're, we're, we're talking about it again in January um, when we've been struggling for three, four months of the season and we're, and we're again talking about it in January about how do we strengthen our central midfield. So um, I like the sound of waiting for the perfect player, but I think we've put ourselves in a hole and we need to dig ourselves out of it um, in a transfer market. And and yeah, I think it remains to be seen. Like, when does the window close? It's, it's uh, early October, yeah. isn't it? And I think the, the, the way that everyone speaks about, and myself included, how positive Project Restart was, for me, it's almost like that they've just settled with that and maybe thought that, okay, we'll be fine now. Um, when actually with a lot of the teams, especially around where Southampton want to be in terms of like Everton, Wolves, just throwing them as an example, they've all got significantly better. Um, Mm. So it's almost if we, I'm not asking for us to go and spend the likes of money that Everton, because that's never going to be Southampton. We all know that. But to kind of just let them get that 
that far ahead of us. We, we're not just thinking about staying with them now. We're kind of looking to play catch up again already. Mm. That's a good point, actually. Just, just quickly, I know, Jack, you want to say something, but we were talk, people were talking about us and we were talking about being a top 10 finish and that does put us around teams like Everton who have just spent an unbelievable amount of money bringing in players like James Rodriguez. It's just ridiculous mm. and we'd never be able to compete with that in a million years. But then you look at Wolves as well, have just spent £40 million on an 18-year-old striker who's barely played any competitive men's football and we can't, <laughs> we'd never compete with that mm-hmm. either. But then you even look around at teams around us last season that we'd hopefully be finishing clear off this season, the likes of Newcastle. And I'm not saying that I particularly like their signings, but they have brought in Callum Wilson and Ryan mm. Fraser that are two Premier League players that will make mm. a squad better. Um, I don't think they fit our profile of signings, but they'll, they'll make Newcastle better. Um, and I know they're getting beat by Brighton now, but they, they beat West Ham last week. Um, so other teams have recruited well. We've bought Walker Peters, great, but that's effectively kept our mm. team together at, at right back. And we bought in Salasu, who's who's won for a couple of months down the line, if if at all, if if not the second half of the season. So I don't know. It just feels like we've we've just stayed still, if not gone backwards yeah, a little bit. I think Mainstone hit the nail on the head in saying that. At the back end of last season, we almost thought, wow, this team's decent. The way Ralph's got us playing, we can settle for that next season. And I mean, he's Ralph's made a few comments, hasn't he, about the fitness of the players coming back. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but I certainly see a difference between the sharpness of the mm. players. I think there is something in that. They don't seem to be as fit as they were the back end of last season. Maybe they've been enjoying their Asahi's a little bit too much mainstay. But um yeah, I ju- it just seems like we've we've stayed still, and like you said, everyone else is strengthening. I don't know what, like obviously the ins and outs of the finances, but like you said, if you don't invest, you're going to be dropping out of the division. So there needs to be a, there needs to be a balance of, you know, not spending too much. Like you said, we can't compete with the ridiculous money being spent. Um, but yeah, God, we need to, we need new faces desperately. Big meetings coming up, I think, this week. Big boardroom <laughs> meetings needed. At St Mary's, um, yeah, a couple of big games coming up. Um, so hopefully, we we get some positive results there. But at the moment, it's 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 hard to to see where that's going to come from. Um, Let's have a couple positives. I think we need a few positives. Otherwise, yeah. my Sunday afternoon is going to be absolutely awful. Go on then. What have you got? What have you got for me? Two goals for Danny Ings. I mean, if we go down and he gets golden yep. boot, then that's that's something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyone else got positive? Yeah, he, it was good. It was good to see him look sharp yeah. actually today. And and again, it was a, it was a case for me of Adams looking pretty good around the box and in terms of linking up with Ings, but then just not taking his chances, which is yeah. Old, we want a uh, the partnership there. We want a partnership, and it seems to be slowly yeah. a few you know building. I think the partnership's building. What what do you think, Mainstream? Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of positives. I think um, for me, especially the first half, there was quite a few positives. Obviously, we're recording this half an hour or an hour after the game, so it's all fresh in the memory. Um, mm. But if you were to watch the first half again, obviously minus a couple of defences, defensive lapses, um, we, it was it was like watching us again at towards the back end of last season in terms of our movement and the structure yeah. and the. And I thought Gineppo looked really good. I think if you could merge him and Redmond together it would be an absolute force to be reckoned with um, because mm. he's got everything that Red, we want from Redmond. And also, Gineppo kind of doesn't have the experience or the physicality or the 
the nous to play in the Premier League that Redmond has. It's, it's a tough one, but I was I was really encouraged by him. I thought he was really direct and dangerous. Yeah, I thought he was good. Stuart Armstrong back in the team. You can see how important he is. The way he drives with the ball, just he's very intelligent with how many touches he takes, isn't he? Just every touch is just that perfect distance in front of him, just to either draw a foul or push it past a midfielder. Great to see him back in the team. Nathan Teller came on and he, he played quite well. He did a brilliant bit of skill down the right-hand side, but I think he nutmegged the fullback and and cut it inside. Um, so there's there's definitely positives there, I think. We were obviously awful in the second half, but like Mainson said, that first half should have been probably 2-0 up, I think, going into the going into half-time. And we're just so unlucky back to McCarthy that he just didn't come out and claim that. Um, but yeah, there's there's stuff to yeah. build on more than the Palace game, I think. I mean, it, I keep going back to this stat, but they had two touches <laughs> in our box and scored two goals. <laughs> two two touches in our box and two... It's just ridiculous. Um, but okay, yeah, you made me feel a little bit better with, with a couple of positives there. Um, but overall, a very, very disappointing display. Um, we'll wrap it up for this week. Gents, thank you for joining me. We'll chat next week then after Burnley. Um, fingers crossed for three points. Yeah, I mean, as I said, 2007, it's got a, that, that, rec- that record's <laughs> got to be broken one day, hasn't it? They are there to be broken, exactly. Um, right, well, thank you everybody for listening. Jack, thanks for joining me. Mainstone, thanks for thanks joining me. Have a good Sunday, guys. Thanks, nice. Take care. See ya. Thank you.